Welcome, 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 everyone. And shalom, shalom to those of you who are on TikTok and those of you who are on YouTube. What I'm going to do here, I'm going to get into Exodus chapter 21. Now, I want to talk about especially Exodus 23. Exodus 23 is a very, very powerful chapter. A lot of people don't really... Uh, grasp what's in there. It's pretty simple in one way and it's very profound in another way. And I'll get to that in just a minute as I read through this. So let's start with Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21. Verse 1. It says, now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go free and pay nothing. And if he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife he, and, and she has borne him sons, sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, and I will not go free, then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall also bring him to the, to the door, to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Now, let me just stop here for a second. Now, again, the title of this live stream and the title of this, this whole, this whole, uh, uh reading and discussion tonight is uh, the law of love. Now think about this for a second. This is God's law. Can you imagine? I mean, because in like the so-called servant, okay, and the servant master in, in the Tanakh is almost like uh, employee, employer today, okay, employee, employer. Now, can you imagine a servant or a, uh, you would say like a slave would be so, would, would have it so good, so, so good that that servant slash slave does not want to leave, does not want freedom. This is how good they had it back then. Okay. So it, you know, there's a lot of people that say, well, what about slavery in the Bible and the slaves in the Bible and this kind of thing? Well, yeah, I mean, it depends on the master. It depends on who you are, who's the master, who you are serving as a slave. Uh, if you're serving a good master, as in this case, some of these slaves did not want to be free. They had it so good. They had it so good with their masters. They had it so good under quote unquote slavery that they didn't want to be free. Say, hey, uh, okay, so you're giving me a choice. You see, either I go completely free, I'm I'm free, or I stay as a servant slash slave under this master. Some some of them said, no, I want to stay as a servant. That's what I want to do, and so that is what we're talking about here. Now think about it. It's like serve for six years and the seventh year free, completely free. Can you imagine if your employer said that? Okay, you work for six years. This, the whole seventh year you get off. Uh, the whole year. I mean, you know, you don't worry about taking, a, you know, your holidays or whatever. The whole year is a holiday for you. I mean, that is really awesome. And this is this is like the law of God, right? The law of God. And again, you got these serves or slaves that had it so good. 
they were so blessed and their masters were so good to them, so loving. And so, you know, it was just so good. They didn't want to leave. Think about that for a second. Think about that. Continuing with verse seven. And if a man sells his daughter to be a female slave and she, she shall not go out as the male slaves do, if she does not please her master who has betrothed her to himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to foreign people since he has dealt deceitfully with her. And if he has betrothed her to his son, he shall deal with her according to the custom of daughters. And if he, ha- if he takes another wife, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, and her marriage rights. And if he does not do these, these three for her, then she shall go out free without paying money. Now, again, look at, you see how this, these laws, these, these regulations, these rules from the Lord is just to protect the servant, the slaves, you know, and, and to make sure that they are, they are treated fairly, they are treated well. That's what it's all about. Verse 12, he who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. However, if he does not, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand, then I will appoint for you a place where he may flee. But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor to kill him by treacherously, treacherously, treachery, excuse me, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. And he who strikes his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he is found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. And he who curses his father or mother shall surely be put to death. If, if, uh, uh, excuse me, if men contend with each other and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist and he does not die, but is confined to his bed, if he rises again and walks about outside with the staff, then he who struck him shall be acquitted. Now, in the, in the um, exempt from punishment, it says here in the uh, footnotes, he shall only pay for the loss of his time and shall provide for him to, uh, to be thoroughly healed. Now, this is, that's almost like some of the laws that we have today and like the liability laws. You know, if, uh, for example, if you're, if you're working at work and, you, and something happens, an accident at work and it's the employer's fault, the employer pays for your time off. And basically, you know, you sit at home basically getting free. Well, it's not really free money, but, uh, it is, uh, they do, they do, uh, they are responsible for, uh, for what they do. Continuing, this is verse 20. And if a man beats his male or female servant with a rod so that he dies under his hand and and he shall shall surely be punished, notwithstanding if he remains alive a day or two, he shall not be punished for he is his property. If men fight and hurt a a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall... Surely be punished according accordingly as a woman's husband imposes on him, and he shall pay as the judge de- judges determine. But if any harm follows, 
then you shall give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, a wound for wound, stripe for stripe. Now, let's just stop here for, uh, for a minute here. This is talking about the eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Now, don't forget, these laws are the laws of of basically for the judges okay for it's the laws of justice it's the laws for the court um so what happened in jesus day you had people who were breaking the torah violating one law to and 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 hiding behind another law to justify it let me explain like for example let's say for example your neighbor was uh mistreating you Okay, or your neighbor did something wrong for some reason, somehow did something wrong. So you would hold a grudge against that neighbor. And then, well, like, again, this is not right to do this. This is not right to do this. I'm, I'm just kind of painting a picture here. So that person would hold a grudge against this, his neighbor and retaliate, retaliate. Okay, hold a grudge, retaliate. And then when it comes back, like, what's going on? Well, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. But that's not the way it's supposed to work. That's not the way it's supposed to work. So what they're doing is they are breaking at least one, if not two, of the commandments of God and hiding behind one. So they're breaking the the commandment, you know, thou shalt not hold a grudge. They're breaking that. They're not walking in grace. They're not walking in forgiveness. They are trying to get back at people. Okay? Um, They're bitter. That's against the law of God. And number two, you know, we have the commandments of, you know, the the Lord said, vengeance is mine. Vengeance is mine. You know, do not avenge, but let God avenge. So they break those two, but, but, but they hide behind this eye for eye, tooth for tooth law. So, well, it says eye for eye, tooth for tooth. No, no, no. Hold on a second. That's not for you to carry out. That's not for you to execute. You know, that's for the courts to decide. That's for the, that's for the courts to execute. That's not for you to execute. And so that's why Jesus said, you know, in, in his famous sermon, he was like, you should, you've heard it said eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, you should love your neighbor. Now we're going to get into this a little bit more in just a few more chapters here. But the idea was that people, the people he was speaking to were people who were fighting with one another taking vengeance on one another, holding grudges against one another, not loving one another, not loving their enemies. And, and, and when they're confronted about it, oh, but, but it says eye for eye, tooth for tooth. They're hiding behind that. And that's wrong. They're hiding behind that one law all to try to justify their violating of other laws, their, their uh, breaking of other laws. What it should be is, okay, so if your neighbor did something against you and you need to, you need to have some uh, recompense, you need, you need to have, uh, you need to have that person pay restitution, you know, you do through, you do so through the judges, but you don't take vengeance yourself. You don't, you know, hold a grudge against that person. You don't have any personal issues with that person. You still love your neighbor as yourself. And that's another, that's another commandment that they could be breaking. So Jesus was just saying, basically, don't hide behind high eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You are supposed to love your neighbor. And it is according to the Torah. 
we we read about Joseph not too long ago, how Joseph loved, forgave, did not hold grudges, even when people mistreated him, heart, like very, very badly mistreated him. And yet he did not hold a grudge. He forgave. He could have easily wiped out his brothers just like that, especially when he came to power in Egypt. He could have wiped them out just like that. Instead, he provided for them and he blessed them and gave them the best of the land, right? The land of Goshen. So, and same with Potiphar's wife. He could have done, I mean, what could he, you know, there's lots of things he endured. And that's a story of walking in grace, in mercy, in love, in not holding a grudge, in walking in forgiveness. It's it's in it's in Genesis. It's in Exodus here. Um, like we're re- we're going to read this in just a just a little bit. But that when Jesus said, "You shall love your neighbors yourself," it was that was not new. That wasn't a new commandment. That wasn't something that is just new in the New Testament. Jesus just what he did was he just summed up what the Torah teaches. He put it in different words. You shall love your neighbor or love your love your enemy. Right? He just put that in different words. And we'll read this here in just a few, just a few minutes. He didn't bring in a new law. He just basically repackaged an old law. An old law. That's, that's what he did. Okay, so let's continue here. Verse 26. If a man strikes the eye of his male or female servant and it and destroys it, he shall let him go free for the sake of his eye. And if he knocks out the tooth of his male or female servant, he shall let him go free for the sake of his tooth. In other words, you know, if, if what does this mean today? Like an employer with an, with an employee, if the employer does something that causes your eye to be you know, you lose sight out of one eye, or you even if you lose a tooth, uh, you are to go f- the rest of your the rest of your life basically paid. I mean, that's that's you know that's the way it is here in in the uh, in the laws here in Exodus, verse twenty eight. If an ox gores a man to death, then the ox shall surely be stoned, and its flesh shall not be eaten. Very, very interesting how it says his flesh shall not be eaten. Why does it say that? Because of the whole idea that I've been talking about, uh, alluding to several times in the past few weeks, and that is how inanimate objects can carry spiritual power. Inanimate objects, material things, can be a link to the spiritual realm. So if this, if this animal... Uh, actually killed somebody. There's some bad spiritual links there it, with that animal. Okay, perhaps it was an evil spirit, like how an evil spirit went into those uh, swine in the days of in the days of Jesus, and they all ran down into the in into the water and drowned. Whatever the case is, perhaps it was an evil spirit that did that caused the the ox to do that to the man. So you don't want to eat flesh from from a, 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 a an animal that has a spiritual link like that, a bad spiritual link to it. This is a concept that we read several times throughout the scripture. Now, in the, in the secular world, 
in the what I would call in the dark world. You've got witches and necromancers and all these other people like that. They know how this works. They know how if you take a physical object, it can connect to the spiritual realm. You can connect. It's it's like a it's like a um, a, a bridge, so to speak. Excuse me. It's like a connection to the spiritual realm. You got it in Joshua chapter seven when Achan had that quote unquote accursed thing. Some translations call it calls it a devoted thing. So he took from the enemy. He took. Um, these items, these physical items. And because he took these items, because he had these, these items in his possession, the whole entire nation lost in when they were fighting, when they were fighting against their enemies. They were losing. Lives were lost because of this one man who had just objects in his, in his house that was linked to, for lack of a better word, bad spiritual power links to the uh, familiar objects like witches or spiritualists would call them today familiar objects you know when a witch or a necromancer or something is trying to channel the dead they would they want some piece of clothing of theirs or they want maybe a, a, some something from the house where they lived in or something like that because they know that this is how it works that's a biblical concept Inanimate objects, I mean, I got a pen here, for example. Inanimate objects, can they can contain or at least be a link to a spiritual, to, it, to the spiritual realm. Look at in the book of Acts, when they took handkerchiefs and aprons from Paul and laid them on the sick and the, and the demon-possessed people who were possessed by evil spirits, and those uh, it says that the people who had evil spirits, the evil spirits came out of them and the people who were sick were healed because of just the handkerchiefs and aprons that Paul wore. How does that work, you might say? It's the same thing. When you have a, a physical object, doesn't matter if it's, it's a piece of clothing or a rock or a pen or and it doesn't matter what it is. In this case, in Exodus chapter 21, verse 28, it is actually food. It's actually food. It, it, that, <laughs> there's so much power. Just the other night, just last night, actually, I was watching a documentary on, a, um, on, an, air, on an airplane that crashed. And they took, they took, pieces uh, that they recover parts that they recovered from the from this aircraft and they used it in another aircraft they recovered good parts from a from an aircraft that was that was down that was crashed and you know lots of lives were lost and all kinds of this horrific things they took those parts and they put them on a plane they put them on a different plane and that plane that had those parts in it, it said that the people on the plane and the um, uh, like the pilot and the 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 um, uh, what do you call it? the the staff that's working on the airplane, the air the stewardess and all these kind of things, uh, they saw apparitions. They saw quote unquote ghosts. 
they were startled and they were they were freaked right out. And it got to the point where it was so bad, they had to remove the parts from that plane because somebody knew, somebody put two and two together and connected the dots and thought, okay, you know what it is? It's probably the parts from that other plane that, that crashed. And it could be spirits that was attached to those parts. And sure enough, as soon as they replaced those parts, it took out those parts from that downed aircraft, from the crashed aircraft, took it out of that airplane, problem solved, problem solved. So this is, this is the reason why, you know, eating things or when it comes to, and this is the thing when it comes to today, okay, uh, without uh, me medical things, let me just say that, medical things that have a history of unethical production and testing, you got to be careful. You got to be careful. You got to be really careful. Vinny says, we're blessed for this channel. Thank you very much, Vinny. I appreciate it. Blessings to you, Vinny. Eric says, Jesus simply unfolded the law. Exactly, exactly. It's exactly what he did. He didn't add to it. He didn't take away. Actually, if, if he did add to it or if he did take anything away from it, that would instantly render him as a sinner. Why? Because Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2 says that if you take anything away from it, if you add anything to it, if you change it in any way, that's breaking the law. Do not add to it. Do not diminish from it. Do not take away from the, from the Torah at all. So doing that is in fact breaking the law. And if Jesus did that, if he added to it, if he added anything, changed anything in any way, then he himself would be a sinner. And that would instantly disqualify him from being the Messiah. Caballero says, hello. Uh, great to see you again. Great to see you, Caballero. Hope you're doing well. Jordan said, indeed, that's why Gnosticism and spiritualizing everything is dangerous. Things have origins. Not everything is holy and only God can deem something holy. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. So you have to be very careful. This is why I've been saying for the past couple months, actually, what, once you get saved, once you get born again, once you, once you repent, burn the bridges, burn the bridges, throw out that old music, delete it, destroy it, whatever you got, just throw out the old music, throw out the old movies, throw out the old magazines or books or whatever you got, whatever you got, clean house. Okay, when you clean house, you you clean the spiritual atmosphere in your home, and uh, and that is very very important. So that's why it says that you should not eat the flesh of this ox that uh, actually killed somebody. Very very important. But the owner of the ox shall be acquitted. If the ox, this is verse twenty nine. But if the ox tended to throw with its horn in times past, and it has and it has been made known to it to his owner, and he has not kept it confined, so that it has killed a man or a woman. The ox shall be stoned, and its owner shall also be put to death. If there imposed on him a sum of money, then he shall pay to redeem his life. 
whatever is imposed on him. Whether it has gored a son or gored a daughter, according to this judgment, it shall be done to him. If the ox gores a male or female servant, he shall give to their master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. And if a man opens a pit, or if a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls in it, the owner, sh- the owner of the pit shall make it good. He shall give money to the owner, but the dead animal shall be his. If one man's ox hurts another's so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and divide the money from it. And the dead ox they shall also divide. For if it was known that the ox tended to thrust in time past, and its owner has not kept it confined, he shall surely pay ox for ox, and the dead animal shall be his own. Exodus chapter 22. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, and shall restore Excuse me, he shall restore five oxen for an ox and four sheep for a sheep. If the thief is found breaking in and he is struck so that he dies, there shall be no guilt for his bloodshed. If the sun has risen on him, there shall be guilt for his bloodshed. He should make full restitution if he has nothing. Then he shall be sold for his theft. If the theft is certainly found alive in his hand, whether it is an ox or donkey or sheep, he shall restore double. If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed and lets loose his animal and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best of his own field and the best of his own vineyard. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns so that stacked grain, standing grain, or the field is consumed, he who, can, he who kindled the fire will surely make restitution. If a man delivers his neighbor to his neighbor money or articles to keep, and it is stolen out of, out of the man's house, if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, then the master of the house shall be brought to the judges to see whether he has put his hand into his neighbor's goods. For any kind of trespass, whether it concerns an ox, a donkey, a sheep, or clothing, or for any kind of lost thing which another claims to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges, and whomever the judges can condemn shall pay double to his neighbor. If a man delivers to his neighbor, a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any animal to keep, and it dies, is hurt, or driven away, no one seeing it, then an oath of the Lord shall be between them both, that he has not put his hand to his neighbor's goods, and the owner of it shall accept that, and he shall not make it good. But if, in fact, it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to the owner of it. If it is torn to pieces by a beast, then he shall bring it as evidence, and he shall not make good what is torn. 
If a man borrows anything from his neighbor and it becomes injured or dies, the owner of it not being with it, he shall surely make it good. If an owner was with it, if its owner was with it, he shall not make it good. If it was hired, it came for his hire. If a man entices a virgin who is betrothed and lies with her, he shall, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money according to the bride price of virgins. You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Whoever lies with an animal shall surely be put to death. He who sacrifices any or to any god except to the Lord only, he shall, sure, uh, he shall be utterly destroyed. You shall neither mistreat a stranger nor oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict a widow or a fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath will become hot, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives and uh, your wives shall be widows, and your children fatherless. So this is a powerful thing. Let me just let me just stop here for a second. Very very powerful. And think about this for a second. There there is a condition here. There's two conditions. First of all, if someone afflicts a widow or fatherless, that's the first condition. The second condition is that they that they cry to him, that's to God, right? They pray. And this is why it's so important to treat the people of God, the people of faith. It's so very important to treat the, the people of faith with utmost, utmost respect. Uh, to the point where it's almost like treating them as if you would, tr treating them the same way as you treat God. Because if you mistreat them and they call unto God, then you're in big trouble. You're in huge trouble. Yeah, so this is what happens. If someone prays, this, this is the thing. If you if someone prays, hold on a second. This kind of yeah. if someone prays to God and God takes their side, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Let me read this again. You shall not afflict any widow or fatherless child. If you afflict them in any way and they cry at all to me, I will surely hear their cry. And my wrath and my wrath will become hot and I will kill you with the sword. This is God talking. I will kill you with the sword. Your wives shall be widows and your children fatherless. Verse 25. If you lend money to any of my people who are poor among you, you shall not be like a money lender to him. You shall not charge him interest. Wow. 
wouldn't it be good if the banks and all these other financial companies would heed to that, right? <laughs> wouldn't that be good? No interest. If you ever take your neighbor's garment as a pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For that is his only covering, and it is his garment for his skin. What will he sleep in? And it will be that when he cries to me, here it is again, when he cries to me, I will hear, for I am gracious. Powerful, powerful, powerful. Yeah, you know, this is it, it just we see this over and over and over again. It reminds me of a few things, like how we were talking about before. It seems like since creation, since God said to Adam, I give you dominion over the earth. Since that time, it seems like God didn't do anything. God didn't do anything without prayer first initiating it. It's like he doesn't do anything without being welcomed by prayer. When there's prayer, God can hear and move, okay? And that's that's the thing. If you have someone praying about you or mentioning you before God, you better make sure that person's mentioning you in a favor of praying for you and not praying against you. Verse 28, you shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. You shall not delay to offer the first of your ripe produce and your juices. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. Likewise, you shall do with your oxen and your sheep. It shall be with its mother seven days. On the eighth day, you shall give it to me. And you shall be holy men to me. You shall not eat meat torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. Again, this is, this is the whole thing. Part of the dietary laws here, not to eat meat torn by beasts in the field. Again, why is this? Because of the spiritual impact upon that animal when that animal was fighting like that if that animal is fighting with another animal to its death again you have that that concept of you have physical matter that could contain or at least be a link to something spiritual and you don't want to consume that if you consume Something like if you consume meat from a from an animal, it was it's supposed to be uh, number one a clean animal, and number two it's supposed to be slaughtered in the proper way. Slaughtered in the proper way, and this is why you know kosher meat uh, they put an extra emphasis on slaughtering the animals in uh, the most humane way possible. Exodus chapter twenty three. You shall not circulate a false report. Oh boy, do we ever have a lot of false reports going around today, don't we? Anthony on TikTok, I'll get to you in just a uh, just a moment. I'll get to you. 
Yes, we have lots of fa- false reports going around. Talk about false reports as a fake news or false witnesses. There's a lot of people, especially, it doesn't matter if you are a preacher, if you if you proclaim the truth, then you're probably going to have people who are going to be false witnesses against you. They're going to twist your words. They're going to they're going to do things to make you look bad. They're going to call you names. You're going to be the recipient of some persecution. Some persecution. You shall not circulate a false report. Do not put your hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. So again, this is kind of like an ex. It's it's expounding on the whole uh, commandment that thou shalt not bear false witness. In back in Exodus chapter twenty. So a lot of these, a lot of these extra laws, right? So you got. Let me just say this, just for clarification. You've got the two greatest, right? You have the, uh, the the first greatest commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That word strength can also be translated as resources, resources. And number two, to love your neighbors yourself. Now, as even even as Yeshua, even as Jesus said, all the rest of the Torah hang on those two, right? So it's not just those two. When he said the rest of the, the law hangs on those two, what that means is the rest of the law defines those two. It, it, it unpacks those two. It expounds upon those two. So the, it, because you see, you, you can just say, you can boil it all down to say, well, you can boil it all down to love, okay? But then the question is, what is love? You can ask 100 people what love is and you get 100 different answers. So what does it mean to love God? Well, again, you can ask 100 different people, you, get, might, you, know, you might get 100 different answers. What does it mean to love your neighbor? Same thing. It, it's so ambiguous. It's, it's so object, uh, subjective, I should say. It's so subjective, especially love. It's so subjective. Love can mean vastly different things to different people. <laughs> we see that so much today, don't we? But the question is, ask God, what does it mean? How do you define love, Lord? What does that mean? So as we we read time and time again in the New Testament, to love God is to obey his commandments. Jesus, even Jesus said, if you love me, obey obey me. So love and obedience goes hand in hand. And you ask God, like, so what does it mean to love my neighbor? What does it mean to love you? That's what the rest of the law is. That's what it's for. It's to... It's to expound on that. If you don't have the rest of the law, you don't, you, it's, it's useless to have the two greatest commandments if you don't have the rest of the laws hanging on them. It's like having a coat hanger without having any coats to hang on it. It's like having a clothes hanger without having any clothes to hang on it. It's useless. It's useless. Verse two, you shall not follow a crowd to do evil. Nor shall oh boy, let me just stop here for a second because you know peer pressure. Uh, I know we can all we can all relate to this, right? Peer pressure. You know you 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 do things because it's so easily 
you know, it's set before you. It's so easy. You know, you got your peers that are doing it and, you know, the crowd is doing it and you're with the crowd. And it's just so easy to go with the flow, isn't it? You shall not follow a crowd to do evil, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert justice. This word justice is, is in italics, which means it's not in the original um, manuscripts. So literally it says in the, in the, in the Hebrew, it says, uh, you shall, uh, nor shall you testify in a dispute so as to turn aside after many to pervert. Verse three, you shall, no, you shall not show partiality to a poor man in his dispute. Now, James was talking about that in James chapter two. James chapter two. So Anthony, I'll, I will, uh, since it kind of fits right in, in this, uh, I will answer your question, um, Anthony. Yeah. So Anthony on TikTok asked, can you explain James chapter two, verse 10, James chapter two, verse 10, basically. So if you, um, summarize, like you, you break one of the command, you break one commandment it's as if you break it all. Okay. Let me just, let's go over there just for a second. Just, uh, let's just talk about this for a second, because this is in the same, James chapter two is talking about the same thing as what we're, what we're reading about in regards to not showing favoritism to the rich over the poor. Okay. And so again, I'm not sure, Anthony, if you're watching on YouTube as well, if you're not, you know, I, I recommend that you go over there because I'm doing a screen share right now and you can read along with me. Uh, you can find me on YouTube, uh, Christopher Enoch. Okay. So, um, James chapter two, verse one, my brothers do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory with partiality, right? So this is what we're talking, we talked about in, um, we just read it, Exodus chapter 23, James chapter two, verse two, for if there should come into your assembly, a man with gold rings, fine apparel, and there should also come a poor man in filthy clothes. And you pay and you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes. And you say to him, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand there or you sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brother, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith? See, this is what the Shepherd of Hermas teaches as well, by the way. The Shepherd of Hermas is a book that used to be in the Bible. It slipped out of the fingers of the Bible publishers. I highly recommend every one of you read it if you haven't read it before. It talks about this. Has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? which he promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored poor man. See, James is pointing, James is saying, listen, you're not being godly here. You're not being like God. God treats the poor with utmost respect. He actually gives the poor his kingdom over the other ones, actually. But you're, you're treating them with disrespect. Moving on. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme the, that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law. So what's the royal law he's talking about? This is the Torah. This is the law of God he's talking about here. 
Notice, J- James is, is telling his readers to obey the Torah. This is, this is, the, this is the drive behind this, this whole entire chapter is obey the Torah. Obey the law of God. Obey him. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, quote, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, unquote, and that is Leviticus 19.18, you do well. Again, see, notice James, James pulls out the law of God here against these people. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So now you see what he's starting to do. He's starting to, he's starting to show two different categories here. You are either a transgressor, you are a sinner, or you are righteous. Okay? One of the two. The implication here is, 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 is quite clear that the people that James is talking to are people who, pro, who pride themselves as being law keepers, righteous, not law breakers, but law keepers. So James is cutting it down the line saying, listen, you're either a law keeper or a law breaker. He's, he's making a distinction here. James chapter 2, verse 10, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one, in one, the word point is not in the original, he is guilty of all. So it's what one is he talking about? Especially this one commandment that he's bringing out here, right? This one commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Because much of the law, a good portion of the law is, is hung on that. A good portion of the Torah hangs on that one commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? The second greatest commandment. So in other words, if you break that, you're breaking pretty much the whole Torah in the sense that only in the sense that you are you are categorized as a transgressor and not as a law keeper anymore. Now, what is James saying here? Is he saying that you are guilty? That you that you are basically, if you break one, you actually break them all. That's not what he says. Let's read on. Let's read on, and I'll and I'll show you. Verse eleven: For he who said, "Do not do not commit adultery," also said, "Do not murder." Now, keeping let me see. Let me just stop here for a second. Keep in mind these commandments that James is bringing out are the commandments that hang on the one that he referred to up here uh, in verse verse 8, right? Uh, The second greatest commandment. So he's starting to unpack it a little bit. He's starting to unpack the, uh, the second commandment. You shall love your neighbors yourself. He said, for he who said, do not commit adultery, do not murder, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor a transgressor of the law. Now, notice again, what he's doing here is he is saying, okay, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of categorizing you guys into one of two categories. You are either someone who keeps the law or someone who breaks the law. You... You pride yourself in being a law keeper, and you you 
you show yourself, you present yourself as if you were a law keeper, but no, you are breaking one of the most fundamental and one of the, the most important laws of all. Thou shalt love your neighbor as yourself. You're breaking that one. Therefore, it's like you, it's like you are breaking everything else that hangs on that. Because you become a transgressor of the law. Verse 12. So speak, so speak and do so as one who will be judged by the law of liberty. Again, what does this mean? James is, is telling his readers, you need to obey the law of liberty. What's the law of liberty? The same law, the royal law. Up here in verse 8, it's the same law. We read about it in Psalms so much. The law of liberty is the, the Torah, the law of God. God is, a law, God is a God of liberty. We spoke about that in the past few days. He is the God of the Exodus. He is the God who brought, who bent over backwards with, a, with, a, with an outstretched arm and a mighty hand to set his people free from the bondage of Egypt. He's not a God of bondage. He's a God of liberty. And when he gave the law, as soon as they came out of Egypt, as soon as he bent over backwards to bring them out of bondage, he gave them the law of liberty, not the law of bondage. So James says, speak and do so as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. What does that mean? In other words, obey God. Obey the Torah. Because don't forget, you're going to be judged by this Torah. That's what James is saying here. Verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What does it profit, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith, can faith save him? Here we go, okay? Again, apparently these people that, he, that James is talking to, apparently they are people who are like, hey, we're justified by faith. You know, it even says, right, in Habakkuk, right? It says, the just shall live by faith. So don't judge us for breaking these laws because the just shall live by faith. Remember, when James wrote this, the New Testament did, was not canonized. And much of the New Testament did not even exist. And nobody, it was all of the believers, all of the Christians in his day and age used the Tanakh, the, the so-called Old Testament, as their Bible. That's what they based everything on. That's what they obeyed. That's where they got their gospel from. So when, when James says, can such faith save him? Because these people... They apparently, just like, like how a lot of people today, well, hey, we got faith. It's faith. It's all to do with faith, right? Faith. Is that where our righteousness comes from? Now James starts, uh, starts addressing this. Verse 15. If a brother and sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and if one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and be and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if if it does not have works, is dead. Dead. Okay. Why am I reading why am I reading 
uh, all these other verses because the reason the reason I'm doing this is because those Anthony those who quote to you James two ten those who quote to you James two ten are the same ones who say oh uh, it's just by faith. We don't have to do the Torah because it's not even try because you break one, you break them all. By the way, the op- they, don't tell, they don't tell you the other side of the coin, do they? They only show you the one side of the coin. If you break one, it's like you break them all. The other side of the coin is if you obey one commandment, it's like you obey them all. Especially the commandment to repent. We read that. All the way through the Tanakh. If people repent, God looks at you as if you've never broken any commandment ever before in your life. You are completely, completely saved, atoned for with just repentance. That's what it says. Ezekiel 18, Ezekiel 33, Second Chronicles 7, 14, Deuteronomy chapter 30, the whole chapter, First Kings chapter 8, and on and on it goes, okay? It goes through all the way through the prophets, all the way through the, the Tanakh. But let's just, a few more verses here. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now again, James is being sarcastic here. It's like, show me your faith without your works. Well, you can't really. You can't show anybody your faith without works, because showing showing your faith is works. If you want to show someone your faith, that is works. Same with, if you want to show God your faith, That is works. Verse 19, you believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe in trouble. James is saying, hey, you know what? Um, What makes you better than the evil spirits? It's more than just believing. You got to obey. But do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Useless, it says here in the NU text, it's useless. How can something that's useless get you to heaven? Dead faith cannot get you an inch toward heaven because it's dead. It is useless. It cannot do anything for you. And then he goes on to say, was not Abraham our father justified by works? And he goes on, it's very interesting how he uses the same scriptures that Paul uses to preach. Paul uses to preach the faith alone message. James uses to, to, to destroy the faith alone message. The same scripture. Very interesting. So James chapter 2 verse 10, talking about if you break one, it's like you break them all. It's talking about categorically speaking. It's not like Oh, if I, you know what, if I, um, if I bring a lamb to slaughter and, and it has one little spot in there that I'd missed, I mean, that's breaking the law of God, right? It's one little speckle in there. It's it, one little thing that I missed. Oh no, I'm going, I'm guilty of everything now. That's not what it means. The problem is today we look, we read this with almost like a lawyer would read it. That's not how James wrote this. James wrote it as a brother. He didn't write it like a lawyer. He didn't write this like as if he was writing as if he was writing the law himself. 
He was just saying, okay, you 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 are a lawbreaker or you're a lawkeeper. You break the law one one way, you're classified as a lawbreaker, not the lawkeeper. That's what he was saying. I know I know a lot of Christians, they they take it to the extreme. They say, if you break one of the commandments, if you break one of the 613 commandments, then you're guilty of all of it. Therefore, don't even try. Because you can't do it. Lie, 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 lie. That's all just a lie. It's all just a lie. God said it's easy to obey, and it is easy to obey. Very, very easy to obey. And if you break one, it's not, it's, you're not guilty of breaking them all. You're categorized in the same category, as James is saying, in context. But if you, t- if you just break one little tiny law, You're not going to be charged for murder. You're not going to be charged with adultery. You're not going to be stoned. You're not going to, that's not that's not how it worked. And that's that's never how it worked. That's not justice. Can you imagine today if you just step 1 inch out of a outside of a crosswalk when you're walking across the street? Yeah, you're breaking the law. So what? The the police is going to come and arrest you and charge you with all the heinous crimes that's ever committed in history and you're going to be Charged with everything in the book? No, that's that's not justice. God is not like that. That's not how it works. That's not justice. The law of God itself has different commands, or excuse me, different punishments for different violations. You read about it throughout the. We're going to read it, Lord willing, as we go through the Torah. We're going to read it. Some commandments has little to no punishment to it. It's just a slap in the wrist, a monetary fine, whatever. It's almost it's almost like getting a parking ticket. Okay. Whereas other commands, if you break those, you get the ultimate punishment. Okay, you get the ultimate punishment. Why is that? Because there are commands that are not so. Serious. And there are other commands that are very serious. Not every command, not not every command is equal to the other. Not every command was created equal. There are different, even Yeshua said there there are the great, there are the greatest commandments. That implies there are lesser commandments. Actually, Jesus actually said there are lesser commandments. He he rebuked the Pharisees for putting too much emphasis on the lesser commandments and not so much on the greater commandments. So if it's, if it's a lesser commandment, that means less. You don't you don't get the same punishment. You get less of a, a less is a, excuse me less severe punishment if you violate a less a lesser commandment. You get a more severe punishment for for violating a greater commandment. So this whole idea, Anthony, that Christians use, not all Christians far too many of them, use as a selling point to sell Jesus to you. Well, you can't, you don't even try to obey Torah because you break one and we all break one all the time. We break them, we break them all all the time. So don't even worry about breaking, don't even worry about observing the Torah because you can't, it's, it's impossible. Well, again, that's just nothing but a lie. Nothing but a lie. It says, in the scriptures that there were people that obeyed all of them. 
And it says it's easy to, to obey. The commandments of God are not burdensome. Right? And so that's the thing. Not every command is equal. It's not like if you break one, you are guilty of all. That's not what James is saying here. He's just talking to people who are, they, they think they're in one category, but they're not. They're in, an, in a different category. And James, if you read through the entire chapter, James is very clear. His message is, obey the law. Obey it. James, James doesn't preach the same message that most a lot of Christians today preach. He, he doesn't preach, well, you can't obey it because you break one, you break it all. Therefore, don't even worry about it because you got faith and faith is, faith alone saves you. Works just works just kind of proves your faith to men, but doesn't to God because, you know, you, oh, yeah, my, give me a break. That's not what he said at all. It's not what he said. Whenever you read the Bible, you need to ask a few questions. Number one, who's speaking? Who wrote it? Who's the author? Number two, who's the audience? Sometimes the audience is not applicable to, to you. Like, for example, Paul wrote to Timothy to pick up his cloak and his parchments back at the house of Clopaz. Is that, a, is that applicable to you? Is that, I mean, are you supposed to go find Paul's, clo Paul's books right now and parchments? Is that what you're supposed to do? Is that God's word for you today? No, that's Paul speaking to Timothy. So you need to ask the question, who wrote it? Who's the audience? What was actually said? What did the author say? And number three, what did the author not say? Very, very important. Because a lot of people read so much into these things that it, does, it just doesn't say. And number four, last but not least, when you're reading the scriptures, you need to understand what context is this in? What is the, what is the general gist of it? What is, what is the author saying? What's the unspoken uh, message that the author is, is conveying here? Like in this instance, in James chapter 2, the un, what I would call the unspoken message is James is saying, hey, you need to obey the law. Come on, guys. You need to obey it. Stop breaking the law and think, thinking that you're, you, that you're a law keeper. You're not a law keeper. You break it in one command. You break it. Therefore, you're part of the transgressors, not the keepers. Not the Torah observant people. You're the Torah breakers. You're in that same category as the rest of them. As the rest of the sinners, you don't want to be in that category. You want to be in the other category. He's trying to get people to obey it. Number five, super, super important. And sometimes it's not all that easy to do. And that is to know and ascertain the cultural context. The cultural context. And certain things mean certain things in different cultures, right? So you need to, you need to, like, for example, Matthew chapter five, where Jesus says, I don't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. 
Well, the cultural context of the word fulfill means to obey it. It means to, as Christianity most tr- tr- most trusted source of Greek definitions of the New Testament, Thayer's Greek lexicon, it says that that word for fulfilled, plerao, means, and I quote, to cause God's will, as made known in the law, to be obeyed as it should be. Unquote. So in the cultural context, Jesus was a Jew. He was a Jewish rabbi. And when he said, I've come to fulfill the law, that's what all Jewish rabbis say. You need to understand, every Jewish rabbi says whenever, uh, you know, thousands of years ago, even to today, go find yourself an Orthodox Jewish rabbi and ask him, do you fulfill the mitzvot? Mitzvot, the um, Hebrew word for commandments. Do you fulfill the law, the Torah, the commandments, the mitzvot? Do you fulfill it? You know what they're going to tell you? They're going to say, of course. That's what every Jew should do is fulfill the law. For sure, everyone should do that. That's their duty. So when Jesus said he came to fulfill the law, didn't it meant nothing of the sort of, um, of well, Oh, I'm just going to do away with the law. I'm just going to gracefully wrap it up and put, in, and put it to an end and close it. That's not what he meant. Paulina, Paulina says, so there is a wage for fornicating instead of marrying Shavua Tov, everyone. I think what the context would be is um, when that person, before, like if, if they take a uh, someone who is uh, engaged to be married, uh, they are to pay the, um, what do you call it, dowry, right? So it's like, it's not. It's not really like there's a wage for fornicating instead of marrying. It's, it's more like if you take person a person who's who's engaged to somebody else to be married, and you take that, and you actually uh, take them, uh, then you are to you know if you you are to, uh, I guess you would call it fornicate with them, then that person is to become your wife, and therefore you would have to pay the the same as uh, what you'd have to pay for a, like a wife, uh, like the dowry kind of thing. That's what it's talking about there, Paulina. Good question. Excellent question. Thank you for asking. Jordan says, the same people who spew that verse do the same thing, breaking Shabbat. Yeah, exactly. Will Sr. says, running through a stop, not the same as breaking the speed limit. Yeah, it's it. that's exactly the thing. It, one, of the, one of the concepts, before we read on, we're going to read on in um, Exodus chapter 23. But if I would, you know, if someone, if someone were to ask me, what is, what is one of the things that you 
wish that Christians would understand, I would say one of the greatest things that they miss, that they do not understand and they don't think about and they don't understand it, is that the law of God, the Torah, should be viewed at, should be viewed in the same way as the law of the land. For example, not all laws are equal. Not all laws are applicable to you. It's not like if, like how Will was saying, it's not like if you run a stop, uh, it's not the same as breaking the speed limit. If you... I mean, again, you, you do something very, very simple, like you uh, you ride your bicycle on the sidewalk. You're not supposed to. That's against the law. Is I is that are you going to get charged with with murder? There's no justice in that. If if that's the case, there's no justice. It'd be horrific. It'd be hell on earth. And that's the same way it is with the Torah. The Torah, there all lots of different laws. And each law has its own rank. That's why Yeshua says, okay, so the law of the Sabbath is up there, but there are laws that are actually above the law of the Sabbath, you know, such as such as loving your neighbor. Uh, if your neighbor is needs your help, you know, I, if if that if your neighbor really needs your help, and if that neighbor doesn't get your help, you know, in a matter of hours, and that neighbor could die, then yeah, you're allowed to break the Shabbat by helping your neighbor, by giving your neighbor the help that he or she may may need to survive. So there are different there are laws of the Torah have different ranks. There's many different ranks to it. That's why Yeshua was saying too, that you've heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, love your enemy. Is it the love your enemy? See, again, they were, they were confusing the personal laws with the justice laws. Right? The justice laws, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. That's for the, for the courts, for the judges and the personal laws which is do not take vengeance, do not hold a grudge, love your neighbors yourself. And we're going to get to the other one just in just a minute here. Jordan says, Amen, if anything, it's, it's breaking man-made traditions. It's lawful to do good. Yes, absolutely. That's the thing, right? That's the thing. Okay, so let's, let's continue with Exodus chapter 23. If you meet, and this is the thing I was getting at right here. This is it right here. Verse 4. Exodus 23, verse 4. Powerful, powerful verse. You guys need to make sure you remember this one. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. Now, let me just stop here. So what is the God of the Torah trying to say here right now? What is he saying? Jesus wrapped it up quite nicely. He unpacked it quite nicely. He repacked, love your enemies. That's what he said. That's what, it, that's, that's basically what it's saying there. In more, you know, love your enemies is a summary of what he's saying here. 
So the Torah, the Torah teaches you to love your enemy. Uh, must have been like 10, 12 years ago now, I was, I was talking to somebody and I said, you know, there's nothing that Jesus taught that's, that, that is, that's not Torah. Everything's Torah. Everything he taught was Torah. And that person said, oh, no, no, wait a second. He said, love your enemies. We don't get that in the Torah. In fact, yes, we do. Right here. Exodus 23. Very clearly. Again, we read it in Genesis as well. You see it very clearly in the story of Joseph, how he loved his enemies. At least he didn't hold a grudge against them. He served them well. In Exodus 23, verse 4, is a very, very powerful, verse 4 and 5, actually. 4 and 5. Very, very powerful. The concept is, love your enemies. That's what, this is what Jesus was referring to when he said, love your enemies. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, what does it say? Don't worry about it because your enemy is your enemy and, uh, you know, you need to get back at your enemy anyway. You need to take vengeance on your eye for eye, tooth for tooth, right? That's not what it says. It teaches us to do good to our enemies, to treat them well. To love them. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall surely bring it back to him again. That is an act of love. That is the law of love. Verse 5. If you see the donkey of one who hates you, of course, another enemy, lying under its burden and you would refrain from helping it. In other words, you want to refrain from, you want to refrain from helping it. No, 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 no. You shouldn't you shall surely help him with it. Once again, this is the concept. Love your enemies. All Jesus did was just kind of summarize it. He didn't bring a new commandment. He just kind of just he made it like a summary. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying under his burden, in other words, if you see, you know, if you, if if your if your neighbor needs help, help him. If your neighbor is your enemy, help him. If your neighbor, the one who hates you, needs help, help him. That's the law of love. That's loving your enemy. Very very powerful. Moving on, verse 6. You shall not pervert the judgment of your poor in his dispute. Again, there's so much about the poor. So in other words, treat the poor and the rich alike. Do not look down upon the poor. Treat them fairly. Verse 7. Keep yourself far from, from a false matter. Do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not justify the wicked. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the discerning and perverts the words of the righteous. Mm. You shall take no bribe, 
Verse 9. Also, you shall not oppress a stranger. For you, for you know the heart of a stranger because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Notice how the Lord always reminds them. He reminds them of their past in the sense that, hey, remember where you come from. Remember where you, remember how you weren't as high and as mighty as you are now. You remember how you were slaves. Remember how you were a stranger in the land. So therefore, treat others. Again, this is the whole thing about treating others as you would want them to treat you. Right? The golden rule, as they say, right? Shall not oppress a stranger. Okay, so let's get into the law of Sabbaths. Verse 10, six years you shall sow your land and gather its produce. But on the seventh year, you shall let it rest and live follow. That the poor of your people may eat. And what they leave, the beasts of the field may eat. In like manner, you shall do with your vineyard and your olive grove. Okay, so again, look at the, can you imagine? Uh, we, I don't think we have a nation on earth that has these kind of laws in it. Can you imagine this being a law? Okay, so yeah, the farmers are to, you know, sow and harvest their fields and plant their crops for six years. But on the seventh year, that's for everybody, especially those who are poor. You know, the seventh year, hey, the poor goes in and just, hey, free food. Uh, here's a you know a thousand acres of free corn, free wheat, free food, even for the animals to eat. Okay, you see how the heart of God here, and not only for that. I mean, for uh, not just your land like that, but your vineyards as well, and your olive groves as well. The trees that you have now in the footnote it says olive yards. Okay. Verse 12, six days you shall do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest. Now again, this is very, very specific. God did not say to choose any day you want to to be your Sabbath. He said the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest. Now again, even the animals. And the son of your female servant and the stranger may be refreshed. And in all that I have said to you, be circumspect and make no mention of the name of other gods, nor let it be heard from your mouth. The annual feasts. Verse 14. Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in it... You came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty. Verse 16. And the field of harvest, excuse me, the feast of harvest. The first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field and the feast of ingathering at the end of your, of the year in which you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. Three times in the year. All your mail shall appear before the Lord God. In the footnotes, it says Hebrew Yod Hey Wow Hey. 
uh, usually translated Lord. Verse 18, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, nor shall, you, nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until morning. So why is it, why is the, why do we have these kind of commandments? So when you sacrifice, now this can be taken figuratively as well. Because you, you see, it's not all about animal sacrifices in the, in the Tanakh, in the Torah. We, we read that all throughout the Torah. God says, I, I, do, I don't delight in the blood of bulls and, and goats. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. And then we got the, you know, a lot of Amos chapter 5, Isaiah chapter 1, uh, other, other um, portions of Scripture as well where, uh, where God says that he doesn't want sacrifice. But the sacrifice, sacrifice that he really wants is, is, is basically a self-sacrifice. Sacrificing your sin. It says, you should not offer the blood of your sacrifice with leavened bread. So, in other words, whatever you do for God, whatever kind of sacrifice that you make, it should be made with humility. Don't make it with pride. Unleavened bread stands for humility. Nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until morning. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Now this is the this is the only portion of scripture. It's only one part of one verse that the Kashrut, the Jewish laws today, base off of. Uh, you know, in in the Jewish world, it's it's forbidden to to eat milk. Um, meat with with milk have any kind of dairy and meat eaten together within like several hours it's forbidden in jewish law now don't don't confuse jewish law with god's law god's law is here okay jewish law the laws of kashrut and the halakha and the gemara these kind of the, the jewish laws are jewish laws not necessarily God's law according to the written Torah. It's very important to understand that. It says here, you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. It does not say, you shall not eat meat with milk or any dairy product. That's not what it says. So the history of the Jewish law that says that you shall not have dairy and meat together Goes back to the ancient these ancient rabbis who, because they wanted what they what they call build a fence around Torah. It's the concept of we want to make sure that we don't even get close to breaking any of the commandments. Now it's kind of strange because some of the commandments it seems like they blatantly break, while other commandments they go to the extreme to try not to break it. Such as this commandment: you shall not boil. A young goat with his mother's milk. So the idea is, well, how do we know if that meat is, how do we know that, in other words, if you buy, let's say you buy milk, how do you know that, that milk is not the milk of the mother of this particular animal that we're eating? 
And to make a long story short, it's basically they went to the extreme to try to make sure that they don't break this commandment. So they said, well, we're not going to eat any kind of meat with dairy at all together at all. That way we know we're never, we know for sure we're not going to break this commandment if we do it that way. So that's really the, the, the history of it. But the fact of the matter is, it doesn't say it's, it's wrong to eat meat with butter. It doesn't say it's wrong to eat meat from a young goat with, uh, with milk from a cow. It doesn't say that's wrong. But you see, in, in the Jewish mind, they say, well, the, the whole gist, the idea behind this commandment is milk is, is, is kind of like the, um, it's, it's for the living. Milk is about life. It's a life-giving substance. So we're not supposed to mix life and death together. Whereas, you know, like when you slaughter an animal and you eat the meat, that's death, basically. And milk is for the life. And to them, it's kind of like we're not, not supposed to mix that together. Now, there are a lot of people uh, who are, um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of Torah observers who do eat meat with milk. Okay, do eat meat with dairy products. And they would say, well, you know, it's not breaking the written Torah. Therefore, it's not, you know, it's okay. And really, if you look at the, the entire context and scope of Scripture, in the days of Abraham, when the angels came to Abraham and he made a feast for them, they had butter and meat together. And it was okay. And it was okay. So very, very important to understand uh, that concept. There is the written Torah, and then there's the Jewish law. Different things. Different things. Verse 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and bring you into the place which I have prepared. That's a good thing to pray, isn't it? Pray that God sends his angel in before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which God prepares for you. Verse 21, beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your, transgressor, your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the, into the, the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. And you shall, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them, nor do according to their works, but you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their, their sacred pillars. So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. That reminds me of an old story that I read uh, in as a book about John G. Lake. John G. Lake is one of the old revivalists of the early 20th century. And he said that he met this guy and he said this guy was um, 
one of the healthiest guys you'd ever imagine. He just looked, it just looked like he was just a pu- perfect picture of health. So he thought, what am I, I'm going to ask him like, what do you eat? So he's like, well, like, what's your diet? Like, what do you eat? He's like, well, bread and water. What? So yeah, I just eat bread and water. Why is that? Like, well, it says in the scriptures, you shall serve the Lord your God and he will bless your bread and water and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. I just find that to be kind of interesting. I'm not, I'm not telling anybody to go just eat bread and water. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just, I'm just sharing that because it reminded me of that story that I read in the scriptures. And it's, it's very important, you know, for your health to eat, not only to eat right, to eat good, to eat healthy, but also to fast if you can. Again, if you, if you, if you can, uh, you check with your doctor, if you can fast, you will uh, definitely benefit from that, your health physically um, and spiritually. Verse 26 of Exodus 23 it says, no one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will, I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivite and the Canaanite and the Hittite from before you. And I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and and you inherit the land. Interesting. Let me just stop here for a second. It's interesting that God says that he will do this very gradually so that the animals do not become too numerous. Now, I mean, you got you to think, though. You got to think, well, God could, I mean, even if he did do it all instantly, boom, do everything all at once, he could also ensure that the animals don't become too numerous anyway. I mean, he could drive the animals away too, right? Or he could cause them not to multiply one way or another. He can do whatever he wants to do. But for some reason... He took, he he kind of peeled it back a layer, so to speak. And he's like, I, I'm just going to do this slowly so that the animals don't become too numerous for you. Again, verse 30, little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the, to the sea, Philistia. And from the desert to the river, for I will deliver the inhabitants of, of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. You shall not dwell in your, they shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you, a snare, a trap. All right, in the next chapter, it is Israel affirms the covenant. Let's see what we have here for some of the questions. The skater on TikTok says, Hi, hello there. Mark, what's the Torah say about self defense? 
well, we read some of it there. Like if there's, um, the idea is like, like we read about it earlier, about if, if, uh, if a thief break, breaks in in the daytime and you, you kill the thief, I mean, that's, you, you're basically, uh, you'll be punished for that. Um, the idea is as always, like peace is as much as possible, maintain the peace. Okay. When it comes to self-defense, it's, it's very, it's, 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 um, it's a fine line. It's a fine line. So the idea is try to keep as much peace as possible. Try to avoid situations. So you don't have to exercise self-defense, but self-defense in the right circumstance is not, it's not wrong at all. I mean, God doesn't want you to, some things that we are actually even created to re, to react. We're created to react in certain ways to certain things. I mean, if someone, you know, if someone kicks you in a certain place, you're going to, you're going to jump, you're going to kick back or something. I mean, you're created in certain ways to react, to respond to, to things. Okay. So I wouldn't say that self-defense is wrong in every circumstance. I wouldn't say it's right in every circumstance. There is a fine line. The idea is to keep the peace, to maintain is to maintain peace at, at every opportunity and not to uh, overreact either, not to overreact. Very good question, Mark. Thank you very much. Will Sr., Romans 13, 10, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Yes. The second, uh, the second first, I should say, why sell your cloak and buy a sword if someone is going to kill you? Um, so, You are referring to, uh, can you, can you um, quote that verse? Sheepdog Ministries says, Shalom, brother. Sorry, I've missed a few. Hope all is well. Shalom, Will. Great to see you. Welcome. Um, yeah, all is well with me. Thank you very much. I hope all is well with you and your family. Mark says, well put. Yes. So selling your cloak and buying a sword. Yeah, so that's Luke chapter 22, verse 36. Let me just check out here. Okay, so let's let's go to Luke chapter twenty-two. Uh, let me see where we're going to start. Um, of course, this is when Jesus got arrested. 
And let's just go into the other. Let me just go over here. Uh, Luke chapter 22. A little bit easier for you guys to read. Um, prayer in the garden. Okay. Just a second here. Okay, let's go to verse 35 then. Actually, you know what? Yeah, he's going, he's, he's, this is approaching when he is, uh, goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and he, speaking of Jesus, said to them, uh, when I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? Uh, so they said nothing. Then he said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it, and likewise a knapsack. And he who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. For I say to you that this which is written must, must still be accomplished in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for the things concerning me have an end. So they said, Lord, look, here are two swords. And he said, it is enough. Okay. Coming out, this is a prayer in the garden. Coming out, he went out to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. And uh, when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from, from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. Then he said to them, Why do you sleep? Rise and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And while he was still speaking, behold, a multitude, and he who was called Judas, one of the twelve, went out went before them and drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you still betraying the son of, uh, the son of man with a kiss? Excuse me. Are you, are you betraying the son of man with a kiss? When those around him saw what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, permit, permit even this. And they touched his ear. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the captains of the temple, and elders who came to him, or who had come to him, have you come out as, as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you daily in the temple, you did not try to seize me, but this is, the, this is your hour and the power of darkness." Now, uh, if you, let me just see here. In a different, uh, and let me just check out here.
Okay, now in Matthew, and Luke doesn't say this, but Matthew says it. It's Matthew chapter 26, verse, let's start with verse 50. Jesus replied, what did you come for, friend? This is talking to Judas. Then the men stepped forward, seized him, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place. Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. And that's a very famous um, saying right there. Okay, so the whole, the whole reason why, Jesus, why I would say, now in, in context here, we only have one, um, we have one of the four Gospels that says that Jesus told them to go buy swords. The rest of the rest of the gospels doesn't say that. So it's not if it was that important, you would we would read that we would read it in the other gospels. Um another thing is too, it could be like we don't know a whole lot of, of like the, the circumstance and like how common was it for people to carry swords back in those days? How common was it? And for what reason why you know they would do that is another question. What we do see cl very clearly here is that it wasn't Jesus' will. It wasn't the will of Yeshua for them to, uh, to use that sword to hurt anybody. Okay? So to answer your question there, um, the second first. We'd have to dig deep into the culture. We'd have to dig deep into, like, so again... I don't think it's consistent that Jesus would tell them to go buy swords for the purpose only of fighting and, and, and you know, uh, doing harm, you know, with those swords. It could have been for some other reason. It's not specified here. It's not specified. Uh, but one thing is specified is that Jesus was not happy about Peter or slash his servant using the sword against the ones who came to arrest him. He wasn't happy about that at all. He fixed the ear. He healed the ear and told that disciple to, uh, to put the sword back in his place for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Hope that answers your question there. Second, first. One John two twenty six makes a good point. Uh, the word sword is misinterpreted. It was it was meant as a small knife. Twenty one Strong's like to skin animals. A utility knife. Yeah, yeah. So again, it's it's like what culture? What what did they use? And let's just check out the word sword there in in the Strong's. Let's just check it out here. Um, the word sword, uh, you guys can, this word sword here is in the Strong's G3162, and it says here, like a large knife used for killing animals, cutting, cutting a flesh, or small sword, as distinguished from a, uh, a large sword, a curved sword, uh, for a cutting stroke or a straight sword for thrusting. Yeah, so I mean, it doesn't, it says here, right here as well, it's a knife. It could be a knife as well. So, yeah. 
it's not like, you know, from our point of view, you know, 2000 years removed from the fact we're reading this, we're reading an interpretation of the Greek. And from our point of view, it sounds like Jesus is telling them to go and, you know, get ready for war. Right. But that, that's not really consistent with, with, uh, with who he is and what he said when they actually drew that sword and, and used it for self-defense. Actually, not really self-defense. I think it was more like how you know, you know how dare you? I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you from from. Um, it was I, what I picture in my mind is like a wrestling match. They wrestled with the, this guy like, you, like you're, you're not gonna get my rabbi. You know, Peter's like you're not gonna get my rabbi. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pounce on you. You know, and uh, like a wrestling match. And uh, Yeshua didn't have. Uh, in anything good to say about that. Someone asked a question, how do you explain Romans 3, 19 to 22? Let's go on over there. Romans 3, 19 to 22. Now we know that what's, uh, whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth shall be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh shall be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, uh, whom God has set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, uh, because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Okay. Yeah. So Romans three, Galatians three, some of these passages that it's commonly, commonly interpreted that Paul is speaking against Torah saying, basically, basically it's commonly interpreted that God, that Paul says, the Torah doesn't do anything to make you righteous. All you got to do is have faith in Jesus Christ. Well, I mean, there's a lot of things in there in, in the book of Romans that uh, you need to you need to put everything in context. Okay, you need to put everything in context. First of all, in the same book, in the book of Romans, Paul said, shall we make void the law through faith? He said, certainly not. God forbid. We establish the law by faith. So you need to understand in context, when Paul is talking about faith versus the law, even in his own words, he is saying that the quote unquote faith he's talking about is the faith that establishes the Torah. And yes, Paul is hard to understand. I've had someone say, well, Paul isn't hard to understand. Well, <laughs> Even the author of Second Peter says that Paul is hard to understand. Okay, um, he's Paul, he's hard to understand. 
Bottom line is this. There are many different interpretations of Romans chapter 3, verses 19, all the way through. Many different interpretations as to what law Paul was talking about. Some people say it's it's not the Torah, it's the uh, the pertinent works of the law, the rabbinic additions to the law, like the oral Torah, the Talmud, these kind of things. Some people say it's not the Torah, it is the law of sin, which is more or less like the law of the devil, basically do as thou wilt, as the church of Satan says. Uh, some people say, no, it's the law of man he's talking about, it's not the law of God. Yada, yada, yada. I mean, it goes on and on. The bottom line, bottom line is this. Uh, Suava, who is the, that's the person who asked this question. The bottom line is this. When you are reading Paul, first of all, I, I recommend, highly recommend, you don't read, don't even bother with Paul until you know, understand, study the Torah, the Tanakh very, very well. You want to you want to go upstream. You want to get you want to you want to go to the the pure source of the water. The water, so to speak, would be the doctrine and the practices of those uh, early disciples of, of the of the biblical saints. Okay, in the earliest parts of the you, you would say the New Testament church in the Book of Acts. It says very clearly that they they tested, even the men of Berea in Acts chapter 17, they tested Paul's teachings with the Tanakh. It says they searched the scriptures daily to see whether or not the things that Paul said was true. The scriptures, of course, did not include the New Testament as the New Testament wasn't even written at that time. It wasn't canonized. It wasn't considered to be scripture at that time. The scriptures, anytime you see in the in the New Testament the word scriptures, it's talking about the Tanakh, the so-called Old Testament. If God says 65 times that his law is forever, one of the one of the I mean, this is this is something here. Sua. Uh, Sua Va. I encourage you to open your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 17. 2 Kings chapter 17, go to go down to verse 37. Right? So verse 37 says very clearly: this is God speaking. The statutes, the ordinances, the law, and the commandment which he wrote for you, you shall be careful to observe forever. It does not say until the Messiah comes and then he's going to, you know, then he's going to institute a new law. That's not what it says. It does not say until Jesus comes. It says forever. Now it says this kind of thing scores of times throughout the scriptures. Forever. How many times does God have to say forever before we actually believe it means forever? How many times does God have to say forever before we actually believe it? Do you think that God just rolled out of bed one morning and said, oh, man, I know I promised my people 65 times saying it's forever, but I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I'm going to have to send Jesus and put it in, in you know, we're going to have to deal, do away with the old law because it just doesn't work. 
Sorry, guys. Sorry, guys. I told you forever for 1,500 years. Um, I messed up. Forgive me. I didn't know better. You think God's like that? You think God's like that? No. The point of the matter is this. This is the point. If, if I'm using the word if, if Paul says anything that contradicts what God already established in the, in the Tanakh, who's wrong? Is it Paul or is it God? Who's the one that's wrong? That's the, that's, that's the bottom line. The, the believers in the New Testament, the New Testament Book of Acts church had nothing but the Tanakh, the so-called Old Testament, for their doctrine. That was their doctrine. That was their gospel. That was their scriptures. Okay? That's why I say, it, every Christian I know says, that the New Testament is 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 built upon the Old Testament, but but almost every Christian I know they don't know the Old Testament, the so-called Old Testament. I hate to say Old Testament because it's really not in the Old Testament. They don't know the Tanakh, which is the Old Testament, so-called Old Testament. <laughs> they don't know it. They don't know it. They only know a few little cliches and a few little favorite little verses here and there that, that, that they heard from their favorite evangelists and from their pastors. And that's all they know. They have never really studied it themselves. So every one of you within the sound of my voice, if you are a sincere believer and you really love God, you owe it to yourself to study the Tanakh first and foremost, to study it. Everything from Genesis to Malachi. Study it thoroughly. Think about it. Meditate on it. And the other, some of the other, uh, uh, you know, texts as well, like the Book of Enoch, the Book of Jubilees, and so on and so forth. The Apocrypha. It's all. It was all considered scripture back in those days. So you need to study that first. Once you get that down, once you get that under your belt. Then go into the letters of Paul. Then you can, then you, then you are qualified to actually say, okay, I'm going to be a Berean now. And I'm going to do what the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17. I'm going to take everything Paul says here and throw it up against, bounce it off the Tanakh and see how it stands. That's the bottom line. Paul. Paul claimed to be an apostle. He never claimed to be a prophet. And there's a big difference between the two. Christians today treat Paul like a prophet. The way Isaiah spoke, the way he wrote in his book, the way Moses wrote, a whole lot different than the way Paul wrote. And it's a reason for that, right? Moses had the authority from God to write what he wrote. Isaiah had the authority of a prophet. Okay? That's the way that's why Isaiah and Ezekiel and all these prophets you commonly see the phrase thus says the Lord, thus saith the Lord. God said this. You know, the mouth of the Lord has spoken. 
you don't really hear much, if any of that at all, from the mouth of Paul. So that's the thing. That's the thing. When it comes to all these... uh, all of these questions about Romans 3, Galatians 3, all these kind of things like that, I would say, first of all, study the Tanakh. First of all, study the Tanakh. If if Paul said anything in there, if, I say if, if Paul said anything in there that goes against the Tanakh, God's not wrong. The Tanakh's not wrong. That That only leaves one choice. If he doesn't say anything against the Tanakh, kudos. Great. So we want to live like the 12 disciples lived. We want to, we want to practice the, the way the, the 12 disciples practiced in the book of Acts. We want to have their doctrine, their practice. How long did it take Adam and Eve to sin when, when God walked out of the garden? How long did it take the children of Israel to sin when Moses went up the mountain? Corruption sets in super fast. How long did it take the children of Israel to fall into sin after Joshua died? Corruption sets in fast. How long did it take corruption to set in after the 12 disciples died? According to Hegesippus, the corruption set, started setting into the church pretty fast as soon as the 12 disciples passed away. That's when corru- corruption set in. Okay, like late first century, early second century, that's it. The point, the point is this, let's go to the source, right? If our source is Yeshua, let's get as close as possible to him. If Paul says anything in your, in your mind, in your eyes, if Paul says anything that contradicts what Jesus said, guess who wins? A lot of Christians, they take the, the words of Paul over the words of Jesus. Someone asked the question, how, um, how do you differentiate between what's authentic and what's not in the Bible, knowing interpolation happened? So, you know, this is the thing. When you're reading the, the scriptures, when, when I say scriptures, I'm talking about the Tanakh. I'm talking about all of the other extra-biblical books, but they're not so extra-biblical because some Bibles have them in it, like the Ethiopian Bible. When you got all the, the, the Apocrypha, you have books like the Book of Enoch, the Book of Jubilees, and other writings as such, some of the things that you find in the Dead Sea Scrolls. The more you study it, the more you study, not just read it. I'm talking about really digging into 
the different kinds of manuscripts, the different families of manuscripts. That's why we got, you know, we got things like the, you know, the Samaritan Torah here, the Samaritan version of the Torah. We've got the Septuagint. We've got the Masoretic text. We've got the Dead Sea Scroll text. When you start really studying it, it, it come, it gets clearer and clearer. And when you first start out, it's like, yeah, it could be like just muddy water. But the more you study it, the more you understand the way God works, it becomes clearer. Then you can see, oh, yeah, there is a manuscript variation here. And I can see when it happened and I know how it happened. And I know that's that variation is the wrong variation because it goes against everything else. Like, for example, um, this is not talking about the Tanakh now, we're talking about the New Testament. For example, the New Testament, the book of Mark is, is there's a couple things in the book of Mark that's, that's obviously added or, or at least contrary to the rest of Scripture. Okay, and I, and I deal with these things. I dealt with them multiple times throughout my videos. And I also went through the entire book of Mark on YouTube as well. Uh, I don't know how many years ago now it was. But there are some things that are obviously things that are problems. Okay. So you can see, oh, yeah, I see that this does not fit, that there was this was added. Like, for example, um, there's the entire end of the book of Mark, right? Mark chapter 16. You got uh, the whole part about you shall, you know, pick up serpents and, you know, drink deadly things that will not hurt you and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's not found in any of the earlier manuscripts. So with all the evidence we have, we can say, hey, with all the evidence that we have before us right now, it, it, it seems to be that the evidence is suggesting and these things were added like 400 years after the fact. Same with John chapter 8, verses 1 through, what was it, 1 through 11, I think it is. The whole story of the woman caught in the, in the act of adultery. That is not found in any anything like in the first 400 years. That just appears out of nowhere after like 400 plus years, 500 years. Then it started appearing. You know, so... You know, simply state, simply stated, the more you study it, the more the more you see these things. The more you see how uh, you see how God works. You see God's ways. You understand His Torah. You understand how He thinks. You understand how how He operates. And then when you, when you see something that is wrong, you, you you identify it as wrong. It's like someone says, "Well, how, like how did they?" train people to identify the counterfeit, counterfeit money. First of all, they give them the real money and they get them, they get them um, acquainted with that, with, with, with the, with the real deal. So when the counterfeit comes along, you can easily spot it. And so that's the thing with the scripture as well. The more you, the more you handle it, the more you, the more you understand. Okay, this is the real deal here. This is the real stuff, and the other stuff is is not. Someone says on TikTok, "Thank you, thank you, uh, my brother, for hosting. May the Lord protect you. Thank you very much. Blessings multiplied back to you. I appreciate that." 
Without Paul and company, Christianity collapses. We know early disciples have a different creed. Well, let me just say this. And I've said this before. If you cannot preach the gospel without Paul, you're not preaching the true gospel. You're not preaching the gospel of the 12 disciples. And if anybody if anybody would differ from me on that, if if they if they have, if you have a problem with that, I would challenge you and say, show me one place in the scriptures when any of the twelve disciples preached the gospel by quoting Paul. It doesn't happen. They quoted the Tanakh all the time. They didn't quote Paul. Suava says, thank you for the explanation. You're welcome. Someone says, but you don't know, you don't know which is the real money in the first place. Well, you don't if you don't do your studies. If you study, you understand, okay, these all these old manuscripts, let's say, okay, you got manuscripts, let's say these manuscripts are dated back to, you know, the first century, okay? And they all are very, very similar. Then you got the second century manuscripts and you say, okay, I see how these different variations came into the, into the picture. Third century manuscript, oh yeah, and I see how it went even worse, you know, it, it it went it gets snowballed okay so again you go you you go back you go back you go back and the further you go back the more again you go closer to the source so it, it's it's not that hard to see the truth i mean it takes time it takes time and it takes studying you know i mean it's not cheap per se <clears throat> On YouTube, one John two twenty six says, "Did Paul ever repent for all the murders he did?" We didn't. We don't have any evidence of him murdering anybody after the road to Damascus experience. At least, if the if again, some people don't believe that the road to road to Damascus experience ever ever happened. But let's just say it did. If it did happen. Which obviously it's it seems to be pretty obvious that Paul had a major change in his life, and we have no evidence that he actually. But like, uh, I was going to say, like, how much did he actually do when it comes to those quote unquote murders? Like, how much did he actually do? I mean, he was involved in one way or another, but uh, we don't have any we don't have any evidence that he continued to do that. So it appears to be that he did repent. So he did repent. So he did change. Caballero. Good point. Uh, also, it says, even Paul said in Romans 2.13, for it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Yeah, it's the same, it's the same book. It's, a, it's exactly the same book, letter. The epistle that um, that it seems like he's saying that you're not justified 
But it, again, it's like Paul is the way he thinks and the way he writes, it seems to be very, very confusing because it's like the doers of the law will be justified. But then he says, no flesh shall be justified by the law. So again, what you got to think about definitions here. What does it mean to be a doer of the law? I think that's pretty clear. Now, what about what did Paul mean when he said, you know, no flesh will be justified by the law? Did he mean by the law in and of itself, like without doing it? That make that makes sense. Like if you just have the law, if you just have if you just have it in your mind, or if it's just words on a paper, yeah, that won't justify you. You got to actually do it, right? So I mean, it's I. <laughs> I actually I believe that Paul was a very he was a very he was a genius. He was a very smart guy, but I think that he was a guy that was very um very different. Very different in a way of the way he thought and the way he wrote. Not very clear on some things, not very clear. I know a guy by the name of Paul too, from years ago. I know a guy by the name of Paul. Kind of reminds me of that. This guy, this Paul that I know. Um, he is, he's a believer. He would consider himself to be a Christian, but he's almost like Paul in the Bible in the sense that you talk to this guy. He's a very confusing guy to talk to. He's very confusing. He's like you know, he's just talking in circles all the time. It's almost like Paul, right? Many times, Paul in the Bible. Talks in, it seems like he's talking in circles. Like here's a good example, right? Romans chapter two versus Romans chapter three. It's like, what Paul, you just said, sounds like you just said the opposite. You just contradicted yourself. Sounds like. It's like Galatians chapter three about seeds. Well, you said seeds, meaning you said seed, which only means one. And because it said seed, it only means one. And God didn't say seeds. That means he only means one. But yet Paul said to the church, to the believers, he said, you are the seed of Abraham. Okay, Paul. Okay. It seems like, he's, it seems like he talks in circles. Second, uh, first says... Which version do you use? I refrain from those of you who know me. I refrain from um, from saying that I have a favorite version. That's because there is no perfect version, and a lot of times I I compare all kinds of versions. Um, one of my let me just put it this way: one of my go tos. I, there's a lot of ones I like, but like one of the go-tos is like the New King James Version. But I like the, I mean, the Orthodox Study Bible has a very unique version all in and of itself, translated from the Septuagint, very interesting version. Um, the CEV is good. There's lots of ESV. Uh, there's lots of them that are really good. So no perfect one. I, when I first got saved, and when I first started studying the Bible, uh, like now I, I hardly use the NIV at all. But I used to, the NIV used to be all that I read for a long time. I, I I got a lot of knowledge from a lot of my Bible knowledge in the early years was my personal Bible studies in using the NIV. 
That said, I, you know, there's a lot of things now about the NIV that I'm not very fond of, but back in those days, God used it. So there are several different versions that are good. The second verse says, I picked two King James versions and they don't match, 1611. Yeah, it's it's very, uh, it's very intriguing. You know, there are different King James, KJVs too. There are different uh, versions of the King James version as well. Will Sr. makes a very good point. A new covenant does not mean a new law. That's what a lot of people get mixed up. They think, oh yeah, it's a new covenant. Okay, yeah, okay, so what? Well, now we're under a new law. Uh, hold on a minute. <laughs> covenant does not mean law. Covenant is just an agreement with somebody, okay? So that, it's not, covenant is like a, a legal document, but it's not a law. It's like a marriage. You get married, the whole entire law of the land doesn't change because you 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 have a new marriage. You get married again, well, it's not like the entire law of the land is completely changed. No, you, it's the same law, just different marriage. It's the same Torah, just different covenant. Yeah, Will Sr. says, uh, Jeremiah 31, 33, but this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, say, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and I will write it in their hearts. Yeah, it's the same Torah, just written in a different place, different medium. Like Torah written on stone versus Torah written on your heart. Same, same words, same Torah, same law, just different place. Mark says, I came across Amplified Bible. I like how it's worded. Uh, Mark 3.36, for what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world with all of its pleasures and forfeit his soul? Yes. Awesome. One John two twenty six says they say that the NIV is the worst, but if you want to use the Strong's Concordance to get the true meaning of the words, the Strong's is based on the King James version. Yeah, there are some there are some uh, translations of the Bible I would completely avoid. That like one would be the TNIV today's New International Version. That is complete garbage. Complete garbage. All right, guys. So tomorrow we will pick up where we left off. Again, this Exodus chapter 24. We're, we're plugging through some of these commandments, uh, some of these uh, commandments in the Torah. So this is very, very interesting. Yes, tomorrow, same place, same time, 7 p.m. Eastern. We will be back. And... Um, 
we'll pick up where we left off. Okay, guys. Once again, it's been it's been awesome fellowshipping with you. Thank you very much for your questions and your comments. I appreciate every one of you. You guys are awesome. And don't forget, if you need any prayers or um, anything like that, feel free to to uh, you can either send me an email or you can put them put it in the live chat whenever we're on and we will pray for you that my email is on the screen for those of you who are on tiktok it is uh, christopher enoch at protonmail.com that's christopher enoch at protonmail.com all right so awesome okay so we have um the second first says shalom thank you Caballero says, thank you for today's teaching. See you tomorrow. Good night. 1 John 2.26 says, thank you, Christopher. Shalom. And Eric says, good night all. And Will Sr. says, I use, I use ISR mainly, but they, have, uh, but they all have slips here and there asking the Ruach for deliverance and discernment, and he will... He will help us understand. Very good point. Vinny says, thank you, Christopher. God bless you all and good night. Shalom. Yes, and God bless you all as well. Blessings multiplied to you guys. Shalom. Peace. As always, I pray that you would, and someone says here, thank you on TikTok. Yeah, blessings Blessings multiplied back to you guys. I appreciate every one of you. Okay, as always, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you, lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom.